What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. As usual, thank you for choosing to tune in today. Hey, folks, today you're in for twice the treat. I have husband and wife, Team Jeff and Sean Thomas, joining us. Both are retired law enforcement officers from Washington State. And as they've moved into the second season of life, they've started the first responder conference. They're traveling around America, putting on these conferences, trying to be more proactive in helping first responders than being reactive after the first responder has experienced trauma and and loss. So folks, you're going to enjoy what they have to say. I'm super excited about it. But before we get into that, I want to talk about, you guessed it, Service Peace Warriors. Service Peace Warriors is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to our nation's heroes. That's right, the men and women that are returning with war-related post-traumatic stress injuries and other disabilities, Service Peace Warriors has their back. Service Peace Warriors is doing all the work. They're raising the money. They're equipping uh, the veterans with service animals to help them heal. But they've taken it a step further, folks, and this is why... I love them so much. They started Maddox Dog Training Academy, a for-profit business. And from the proceeds of Maddox, they further fund Service Peace Warriors. And they also equip first responders with service animals. Absolutely love what they're doing. Folks, if you wanted to join their team right now, it would cost you nothing other than about 15 minutes. 15 minutes. If you Google search Amazon Smile, you'll learn how you can connect your Amazon account to service peace warriors. And then every time you spend a few dollars on Amazon, they're going to kick a few pennies over to service peace warriors. Check out their website, servicepeacewarriors.org today. It's worth your while. Folks, with that, let's jump over to our conversation with Jeff and Sean Thomas. Jeff and Sean Thomas, thank you for joining me here on the Gravity Podcast. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having us. Hey, you all, both of you have been going through some major transitions in life. Uh, I already said it in the intro, the fact that uh, you organize these first responder conferences, and I want to get to that. But first, I wanted the listeners just to know a little bit more about both of you could, and I'll let you guys Rochambeau for it or, or whatever you guys usually do to break ties. Uh, can you both tell me just about, uh, about your career, about how you guys met? Tell me a little bit about your story. Okay. No, you go first. <laughs> That's how we work it out, you know, <laughs> on the fly. <laughs> um, so let's see. I grew up and uh, my dad was a law enforcement officer. Uh, he retired from the King County Sheriff's Office after 30 years. So grew up in and around law enforcement, which ultimately brought me into this profession. I was hired in 1997, um, worked patrol worked undercover on the buses, so Metro Street Crimes, in the Warrants Unit, um, in the Deadbeat Mom and Dad Unit. That's not the technical, you know, term for it, but that's what we called it. Um, and then uh, worked Metro Patrol. Then I got into Sound Transit uh, as far as I had, I had an explosive detection dog that's retired. And then I was in our wellness unit when I retired a couple months ago. So... And on, on the peer support team. I love it. Uh, how, how long did you serve in the peer support team? Uh, since, well, 2006 um, until 2022. So 
Wow. Great opportunity to support officers. <laughs> yeah. Deputies. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed peer support and, and the work that we were able to do to support the deputies and their families. So if I'm doing my math right, 24, 25 years is how long you were on the job. 25. That's awesome. Jeff, how about you, brother? Uh, well, I didn't grow up wanting to be a policeman. I wanted to be a baseball player, but uh, that didn't work out. So had some friends that were in law enforcement and just started taking, took a test and lo and behold, got hired. So I worked for the same place as Sean, worked King County Sheriff's Office. You know, I did the typical career as far as patrol and detectives. And then I was on a SWAT team for over 18 years. Uh, so a lot of my police work was tactical. Then I got older and decided it was time to get off the SWAT team. So in our department, when you get older and you're no longer important, they put you back on patrol. So my last 10 years of my career were on patrol, but I became a master police officer and did, got into training, new recruits, et cetera, et cetera. So June 2020, when things were getting crazy and uh, they were looking to indict cops here in Washington, I one gray morning, I decided I've had enough of this. So I hung it up just kind of quickly. <laughs> yeah. So I did 32 years. I figured that was enough. I was trying to do 35 just because for some reason that was a number in my head, but, but I did. I sort of abruptly quit. You know, like I said, it's uh, at one time I thought it was the greatest job in the world, but in the last five years, it's gotten kind of weird. And I decided it was time for me to do something different. And I like the way you just said that, do something different. Cause I would argue you haven't hung it up, brother. Uh, what you and Sean <laughs> no, are doing no, through I, the first I, responder I conferences. You guys, is there, we need great law enforcement officers, right? Yeah. And when you've served 25 and 32 years, you've done your time, but, and, and honestly, you deserve to like go down to Mexico or wherever else <laughs> in this world if you want and, and just relax and do nothing. However, that's not what you guys are doing. So what, what was the catalyst? What motivated you, you both to start this first responders uh, uh, conferences? So what really, I guess, moved it forward was um, in 2015, Jeff was struggling with organizational stress and also had cumulative stress over the years and was uh, coping with alcohol. And it got to the point where he wasn't feeling well and, and said, you know, enough is enough and I need to do something about it. And I said, great, now what? You know, we didn't feel comfortable reaching out to the department. We weren't exactly sure what that was going to look like. So we found a confidential resource. We got him the help that he needed. But during that whole process, you know, we realized if we're both first responders and we don't know where to get help, there's got to be other people out there. So my peer support captain at the time suggested we put on a mental health and wellness conference for first responders and their families. And I thought, well, sure. How hard can a conference be? And then I realized um, it was a lot of work, but we had around 150 first responders attend that conference. And after the conference, there were, there were at least five people that reached out for help that I know of. So it was clear to me that there's a lot of first responders that are suffering in silence. And I knew my department uh, besides peer support, which was more reactive than proactive, didn't really have any wellness programs um, or that anybody really knew about um, or that they thought were beneficial. So 
Um, And I found that to be true um, with other first responders that I was, you know, having discussions with across the country. And so people started reaching out to me saying, hey, I really like what you're doing. Can you help us put on a conference here? And we just try to move forward with the local boots on the ground folks to make that happen. Because every time we have a conference, we have people tell us how beneficial it is. We've had people call and say that it saved their life. And so we became really passionate about the conferences and knew that they were making a difference. And now we just finished our 30th conference and we have more on the schedule. Wow. Hey, Jeff, do you mind unpacking that a little bit, brother? I was SWAT for a couple of years and, and first of all, just our job has enough testosterone flowing through it. You know, I need to be this tough dude. And now you're, you're a, you're a SWAT dog on top of it. Right. So now you really need to be tough. And, and for me, when I experienced post-traumatic stress, I, I didn't feel it for my SWAT brothers. It wasn't like I felt like they were saying it, but definitely the voices in my head of telling me I needed to be tough and I needed to be strong were, were preventing me from, from raising my hand and getting help maybe sooner, sooner than I did. And what was that like for you? Was that an added challenge or did that not play into it? Well, like Sean mentioned, organizational stress was kind of my issue. My, my issue is I'm, you know, I I feel like I'm a good human being and these things that uh, bother you, you know, they bother me excessively. You know, I said before, you know, the suspects and the, the interaction with the world and whatnot was the greatest thing ever. I liked that part of it. if, If I could be, you know, serving a search warrant every day, three times a day and not having to deal with command staff and, and, you know, I mean, you've been there, I'm sure you, you, these people that you just shake your head and go, where, where are these ideas coming from? So there was a lot of that going on. This was obviously before, you know, the world changed a little bit. So I guess the one thing about health and wellness and first responders is it's varies so much from person to person you know, PTSD or PTS or whatever they're calling it nowadays. I I don't know if I have that or if we all have it. Um, It it did, you know, my job never really was affected. I went to work every day. I just, sometimes I went hungover. (laughs) So, you know, it it just, which which is not a good thing to do, obviously. So uh, for me, and, and we still were talking about stigma and whatnot back even five years ago. So, or seven years ago, where it was, so, but luckily, I mean, I just, I just, I'm not a person that re- that worries about that kind of stuff. I didn't, I, I don't care. I don't, I just didn't care if anybody thought whatever they thought. I just wanted to feel better and, 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 uh, you know, we, we work in the Pacific Northwest where it's a pretty liberal place. And even as a police officer, if you say, Hey, I got an issue, you know, they're usually bending over backwards to try to help us. That's, that's one of the attributes here. That's good. Cause yeah. we have a lot, a lot of stuff that's not good, <laughs> but um, you know, for me, it was just like Sean said, finding some resources that uh, worked. And I think the, the whole health and wellness thing was sort of in its infancy then. And we, you know, we were lucky. We found somebody that knew which direction to point me and uh, got that behind me which was nice. But then, like I said, Sean, this is Sean's baby. I, I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't, I wasn't in peer support. I was, I was the peer that needed supported most of the time. So, you know, uh, you know, we were out there, you know, going hundred miles an hour forward with our hair on fire type stuff. That's, that's, 
you know, which all you know creates another issue for most most people. So, you know, I loved the job; it was terrific. Then I kind of sort of hit the wall, and it became not fun anymore. I didn't I didn't enjoy it. So, which is another issue, uh, you know, aside from the, you know, my my health issues or whatever you want to call them. So I'm in a good place now. There's no doubt about it. And, and I don't know if I'm answering your question, but. Uh, no, you are. You know, this is Sean's baby. She She's a leader. I'm just a support person in it. And um, I mean, there's no doubt about it. We, we have a stellar volunteer group that works their tails off trying to do the right thing for first responders and, you know, health and wellness is important and resources are really where it's at. If somebody runs into a, issue we want to have a resource to point them towards so that's sort of what we're after i think sean what was that like i mean you you'd already been volunteering as peer support for so long but it's different when this involves your family when this is your husband it's just different and 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 what was that like for you were you able to was that awkward trying to transition between okay am i being a peer am i being a wife am i being a partner cop I don't know. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you know, I knew that he needed some type of help. Right. But I, (laughs) I know that you can't make people get the help that they need. I mean, they have to want it for it to work. Yeah. And I think Jeff got to that point where, you know, I was patiently waiting. And when he said, I need help, I was like, great, we're going to find you that help. And like Jeff said, but then I was like, now what, even though I was on peer support and I think you and I had talked about this, um, in one of our conversations that even though I was in peer support, I really didn't know about all the resources out there. And I knew how to do a CISD. I knew how to do, you know, a a briefing or a one-on-one, but I didn't know what to do if somebody like Jeff needed to you know, go to off to some recovery place. Right. Absolutely. Um, that was, that was completely new to me. I think that, you know, people probably have more of an idea now. Um, but yeah, I mean, just finding the resource was the hardest part for us. And because we just, we weren't exactly sure, you know, what to do at that point. So I think, and like Jeff was saying, that the resources and with the conferences are the, are the biggest thing is we want, we don't ever want anybody to be in that place where they're like, I have, I don't know who to call who, you know? And so we try to provide as many resources as possible. Cause like Jeff was saying, it's not a one size fits all. Yeah, so I think that that's, that's the, that's the big thing. And, um, but you know, as being a police officer, when everything happened, you just go into, okay, mission mode. Right. And we were able to, you know, find the right resource that he needed. And, and luckily for us, it turned out well in the long run. If I could just add the, the resources that we, that Sean's created or whatever, a lot of, we've tried to vet everyone of, you know, everything that we can, because, you know, first responders are a different breed of human. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I wasn't just going to settle for, you know, any sort of recovery or, you know, some any place. I wanted to go someplace that knew the ins and outs of what first responders go through. And we were able to find that maybe one of the first 
groups of folks who were actually trying to get into that portion of health and wellness was for first responders, you know? So the place I went and there was other people like me in the same profession that were also there, which, you know, was a terrific thing for me. Um, but that's, that's important to us is to make sure that, that first responders are comfortable with where they're going. Cause like I said, I think, I think we're a different breed of people and that's just the way it is. So, yeah. Yeah. I had a guest on here, uh, probably a month or two ago. She's a Leo law enforcement officer, wife, mental health professional, Johanna Winder, her husband, John was a police officer in Mount Lake Terrace for 20 years before he retired. But we were talking about this, the fact that not all mental health professionals and not all resources are built the same. And, and for us as first responders to go in and talk with a mental health professional that's not ready to talk with the first responder, we're going we're gonna to create a, a traumatic event for them if we tell them some of the stuff we've seen and, and experienced, right? And so finding the, that right fit to where the, the, the trust factor is there. Uh, is is huge. Otherwise, it's it's going to be a horrible experience, right? It, without that trust factor. It, and did you, Jeff, when you guys found this resource, uh, was the first resource you tried that was successful that was like, yes, this is the right fit? Thankfully, they get cops, they get first responders. Or did you have to try a couple resources before you found the right one? Well, like we said, we we had a resource that we that Sean knew from a a conference she'd went to. So, and that person was able to find the right fit right off the bat. So yeah, I don't know if I got lucky or I, I don't, I don't think so. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of, unfortunately in this world we've created, there's all kinds of uh, things that go, you know, insurance and there, there's all these different things you have to look at. And, and uh, if, if you know the right, places to go that that um aspect of it is easy because they know what what's going on so but unfortunately i mean it's not like i i can go anywhere i want and just you know there's there's some insurance issues and and those sorts of things and then and we also think on the side you know sometimes people can't go insurance won't pay for it so we try to find other areas of finance and other ways to, you know, when people need help, need to go someplace and this has to get paid for that we can find a resource for that. So, you know, it doesn't always happen and it isn't perfect, but try to do the best we can for that, I guess. Or Sean does. I, you know, she's, she handles most of that stuff and I stand in the background and say, what can I do to help? <laughs> I like it. Hey, I, I don't usually unpack this on the interviews I do, but my wife and I on the opposite weeks do a Marriage Monday podcast where we're, we're trying to answer the question of how do we maintain perspective in life uh, in, the, in the confines of marriage? How did you guys make this work? I mean, if you, you know, score this on the stress factor, honestly, you guys should be divorced right now because going through <laughs> between the two jobs you guys have and then going through what, uh, what you went through, Jeff, you guys should not be together. So what, and maybe, I don't know if you guys can pinpoint it to a couple of things that really help you guys be successful as spouses. Well, I mean, as far as you, we have this conversation, um, you know, what Jeff was explaining to somebody the other day, you know, when you go into the academy, they say, oh, well, if you're, you're married, the chance of you being married very long, or, you know, much longer is, <laughs> is kind of grim, but but then, you know, a cop married to a cop, 
they even say that the statistics are worse on that. I, I, I beg to differ. I think that, you know, us both being in law enforcement helped one another because we got it. We understood what each other was going through most of the time. Right. So I think just being in the same profession was helpful for, for us. We, you know, we both kind of grown over the years, obviously we, we have the same issues that every married couple has, you know um, you know, and, and being in the profession we're in, you know, you sort of have that bit of type a, although I don't think I, I'm more like B plus, but, <laughs> but we, we, you know, we, there's always that time when, no, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. You know, that kind of thing. And so then you got to go, Oh, this is stupid. We got, we have to, you know, be reasonable, smart adults here. And so, I mean, as we get older, I think it gets easier. But, and I, I, like she said, when I I was in the Academy, my partners and I used to laugh, I'm never going to date another, a girl, you know, female police officer, because what what are we going to talk about? I mean, you know, I don't want to talk about police stuff. I want to, you know, and then it's funny because I ended up marrying Sean. So, you know, obviously my thought on that changed (laughs) along the, along the line, something, but it really didn't have anything to do with that. I think at the beginning, I think it was just normal relationship between man and a woman or whatever. And, uh, and it grew into what it is, but being, being both being police officers, it certainly helps, you know, when you're trying to, when somebody has to, when somebody, when your partner needs to know how you feel and just can know it because they feel it too, you know, that, that saves a lot of issues. I mean, I can see where, and I've seen it in the past, you know, where one person is a first responder and the other one isn't where it can create problems because, there's a lot of unknown territory there. And then us being first responders, we don't like to talk about anything anyway. And, and of course, I think that's an exception too. I, I don't care about talking. We, you know, we, we always laugh because our kids grew up listening to these horrible things at the dinner table, you know, and they weren't horrible to us. They were just, that's just life, you know? And so our kids kind of got forced to grow up a little sooner than probably, you know, so they're, they're, they're up on everything that's going on in the world. And they always have been, even at, nine and 10 years old, you know? So we always laugh because we're thinking, God, if child protective service ever heard one of our conversations during dinner, we'd probably be in big trouble. But, you know, I mean, I think uh, our kids helped us get through a lot of stuff too. You know, I mean, when you're single, you're single, right? It's easier to walk away when you have kids. There's, you know, that family, you know, you have to think about the family too. And so I, I think that it was helpful, you know, everything that we've been through having children, because you can't just say, well, I'm done with you. You know, you're, you're, are you really ever done with anybody if you have kids together? No. So uh, it just made more sense. And then Jeff always told me, well, if you leave, I'm coming with you. So <laughs> I guess it wasn't a choice. Over the last few years, my wife has looked at me a few times and whispered, take me away. I'm like, babe, right now we can't fly. Like we can't go anywhere right now. We're stuck. So uh, we actually have retreated to uh, to the, the coast a number of times over the last few years, just because we could drive there yeah. and it created a, a place, even though not totally separate from Eastern Washington, it created a, you know, a temporary escape, if you will. So See, we're the opposite. Hey, we go to Eastern Washington to escape. So there you yeah. go. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, it's a great place over here. I started over in, uh, in Western Washington for Linwood. Uh, I really enjoyed working there for a couple of years, 
but this is where I was born and raised. This is where my wife and I met each other in high school. And, and so we, we wanted to get back over to Eastern Washington to raise our family, be around the support of family and whatnot. So, Hey, what have you guys constructed? You say you vet people, uh, you want to vet the resources before you bring them into the conference. I love that, that concept, because again, in order for you both to maintain credibility with these conferences, you got to be bringing in trusted uh, resources that aren't going to um, that aren't going to you know implode on on first responders. So, what's that process look like for you? And what are some of the? Is there like different categories of resources that you typically will try to search out as you go to different regions? So, when we have a conference, you know, we get a lot of people that reach out saying that you know they want to be a part of it and. So basically I, you know, look them up, Google, right. Uh, And then I have conversations with them and just try to get a feel the best I can of, you know, what it is that they have to offer. And um, is it, you know, something that we want them to be a part of the conference. So it's, and then plus um, when we have conferences in other locations, we ask the local boots on the ground, Hey, who do you want to be involved in this conference? And those people usually had contacts with these resources and have vetted them out, you know, since that they're in that area. I like it. And then have you, has, has this process, because again, you started back in 2015 or so, not really knowing the different resources. And I was really in the same boat. If it wasn't for the last few years and just one of the benefits of social media, there's so many negative pieces to it. But one of the benefits is we get to make these connections all across the country and all across the world. And now I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, the resources we get to meet, meet all these different people and resources and, and you weren't sure originally, but now time has gone on. I'm just trying to make your, it's, it's certainly, <laughs> you know, it's certainly evolved because you know, the first conference compared to the 30th conference, you know, the, the, the wheels have been greased pretty well. The one thing that Sean and her crew does is it's first responder. It's not just police. So may, maybe, I mean, that's where our thinking has kind of evolved too, because I think in the first conference, it was, you know, I don't know if we were thinking in terms of, you know, EMS and dispatch and this and that. I think, you know, we were kind of on, you know, cause we work for a police department and we were thinking police, you know, but uh, that has evolved. So when she's talking about resources, she's not just talking about police stuff. She's talking about, you know, fire and EMS and, you know. Uh, uh, corrections. Yeah, corrections. Dispatch, I mean, military so veterans. There's, there's what she tries to do is get, you know, different segments of those populations to as part of the speakers. And th- therefore, it's because, you know, you don't want it to be just a police conference. It's it's for it's for first responders, you know, so. So in that evolution from number one to 30, I mean, obviously the list of resources has grown in the whole gamut of first responders. And so that's kind of the way we're headed, you know, kind of that whole try to spread it out, you know. No, I like that. You know, we're, we're all seeing a lot of the same trauma, you know, and like you said earlier, Jeff, it really depends. Some people it's organizational stress uh, with, with things that are decisions that are being made that just doesn't make sense and the impact that it has on our folks 
Uh, some of it is the stuff they see. For me, it was child crimes. I was a child crime detective for two years. And I'm sitting there reading a Cabbage Patch Kids book to my kids. And I'm also on the SWAT team, right? So I'm, I'm tough. And I'm reading this Cabbage Patch Kids book. And I start to cry. Now, if you've listened to any of our other Marriage Monday podcasts, you know that like I'm not afraid to throw a tear down, right? Like It's okay to cry. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm crying over a book? Like What's up with that? And then I thought about my day and the kids' interviews. And I went, okay. Yep. And that was, that was, that was the warning sign that I didn't take. And then it just exploded with anxiety attacks that felt like heart attacks, calling 911, looking my wife in the eye and saying, babe, it's been nice, nice knowing you. I'm about to die now. Uh, Go get me some sweatpants because I'm in my skivvies. And uh, which is a funny story in and of itself that I won't continue to go down. But, but through that, um, our, our firefighters, our EMS folks, uh, our correction staff, Here's the thing. Like when I arrest someone, when I arrest a bad dude, I get to drop him or her off. Right. And I get to drive away. And some of my brothers and sisters in corrections, they don't get that release. Right. Like they're with them for eight, 10, 12 hours a day, constantly having to be around some, in some cases, just some people that are stupid or, or make bad decisions. But in some cases, pure evil, they have to be around these folks all the time. And, and so I love the fact that you have this bigger picture, the fact that, hey, we're all in this collective family and we all think a little bit alike and we could all benefit from hearing each other's stories. Hey, what have you seen with that? As you guys, did you instantly, like Jeff, when Jeff, you got back, did you and Sean feel comfortable telling your story or did that take a little bit of time before you could say, hey, everyone, if you need help, raise your hand? Well, I think we started thinking that way when I went and got my help, um, when I came back, I didn't, you know, I, I certainly didn't close the door on that. And I, and I've, uh, I guess along the way sort of mentored, I would say several people that were having issues that were thinking about doing something about it, blah, blah, blah. Just because my circle of people knew, knew that I had that experience I didn't go into advertising mode and say, Hey, I'm here for all you people that are having an issue. I just, but I I have absolutely no problem with that. I mean, I enjoy that more than, you know, most people know because I guess I have been there. It's, it's, you know, there, I don't know if I, for me, it was a pleasant situation just because I needed to change the scenery and it, it worked out for me being that way. And when I went, I went to, to rehab for 30 days and I didn't really realize it at the time, but, but while I was there, I was like, this, this change of scenery is exactly what I needed. Just, just to be out of the environment I was in, you know, and uh, the funny part about it is the environment I was in wasn't that bad. It was just, to me, it was bad. You know, I didn't, I just, some of the decisions that were being made. And like I said, I could stand all day long in the muck and uh, the suspects and you know how it is. I mean, if you work street crimes, you know, you're, there's a fine line between us and them. You just got to make the right decisions to be the right person, you know, and sometimes that doesn't happen on the other side. So, but like I said, I mean, I, for me, it just was a change of scenery. That was the best thing, you know, and it's all about perspective. I mean, Sean was talking about, you know, she was witnessing me do what I was doing and was had concerns about it. And to me, I, I, I don't think I, I really wasn't that concerned. I was more like, I was tired of feeling crappy, you know? So then you get into the, you know, depending on what your drug of choice is, I guess you, 
you know, the decision has to be made about whether you're an addict or not, or whether you're an alcoholic or not, or whatever. And so I've been down those roads and studied and researched and, and read everything I can read. And, and, uh, you know, so then you have those decisions you got to make, whether or not you have to treat yourself as a, as an addict or, a or whatever. So it's, it, it's all encompassing big thing. I mean, and luckily for me, like I said, where we worked, I, you know, it was well taken care of. There was no issues when I came back to work. I went right back to work and, you know, I chose not to go the supervisory route. You know, I, I always said I could have been a friggin' five-star general by now, but, <laughs> but I chose not to do that because I didn't, I, it didn't appeal to me what I saw, you know, and in hindsight, maybe that was a bad decision because uh, maybe I could have made a difference in some of the decision making so it is what it is it is what it is well, i'm not, not going to lose any sleep over it now but it's like you know I mean, you're retired i'm retired you made it. <laughs> well and i would i would argue that you you have made a difference if you get back and you've mentored a handful of other folks that's huge and and i've sat there and i've seen that play out over the years both in my military time and then civilian law enforcement uh some of those people that are leaders i mean i've seen i've seen command staff that aren't leaders and i've seen I've seen line level officers that are leaders, right? Because sure. they're leading, they're 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 leveraging the influence that they have to positively impact other people that they care about, and and it's just it's just remarkable to see, regardless of the positional authority I've seen people in. Sean, I love what Jeff just said there, and you said it before. You talked about you you saw it in Jeff, but you recognized uh, I can't change him. I have to wait until he wants the help. And I think that is powerful as spouses. I think it's powerful as leaders, watching people, noticing something's different, checking in. If, you know, of course, we check in with our folks at work, our friends, our coworkers. Hey, man, I'm seeing it. You used to drink one beard. Now I hear you're drinking a case. You know, is everything okay? But then being there and just being ready to receive them once they're there. How hard was that? And how long? I don't know if you, maybe you said this already, but how long were you watching going? He needs help, but he's not ready yet. Yeah, I don't know how long it was. Um, <laughs> I just know that, you know, it kept on getting worse. And um, so I was glad that when he asked for help, you know, it definitely was time. It was probably overdue. I think part of the problem, too, was for me, it was cultural. You know, it was, it was cultural. I, I grew up in that era where. You know, I, I think we want when we were 10, when we were going on 25, we wanted to be adults and we saw the adults. What they did was they drank and did whatever they wanted to do. And that that culture just kind of carried through for me. And I know, I, you know, I have a lot of friends that went to school with or whatever, the same age as me that sort of battled the same thing. So yeah. for me, it was cultural, I think. And then it just got to be a coping mechanism is what it came down to. You know, I, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. I think I'm a, a alcohol abuser to cope is what it kind of came down to, because I don't have any of those issues now. You know, I, I just I don't feel the same way I felt then. I think, you know, I just kind of felt like I was painted into a corner. And I think that's part of the reason why alcohol was my drug of choice, I guess you would say. So. But, yeah, I, like I said, I I, I probably wasn't. uh yeah, I wasn't seeing it through Sean's eyes. And finally, finally, I sort of did. Like I said, for me, it was a, 
you know, I, I know what I felt like when I felt good and I didn't feel good. So I, I just wanted to change that. So I think a lot of times before I took the final step and said, I need to do something. I said it several times along the way, like I need to make some changes. I need to do some different stuff here, you know, just never, yeah. never activated and then finally did. So, yeah. Hey, I love the compliment of both of your experiences. Uh, just, I feel like you're going to get a broader audience. Uh, just, just with, with both of your different experiences through law enforcement, I feel like you as a couple are going to reach more people. I mean, a number of times, Jeff, you've pointed back to, Hey, this is Sean. Sean is the one her and her staff are the ones that are doing all the work. But the, the fact is, is sometimes resume means something. And and the compliment from both of your experiences from street crimes to SWAT to patrol to detectives, I, I feel like it's going to reach a broader audience across our country because of that. I've seen it before. I've seen it before where the tough folks in the room don't aren't going to be listening until they hear that the speaker has a SWAT background. And then it's like, all right, I give you credibility based on your background. I'm listening now. Tell me, tell me what you got to, what you, you know, what message you have. Hey, if, if someone is kind of looking left and right and going, we don't have this resource. I have no clue the resources that are in my area. We don't have a first responder conference or something similar going on. And they wanted to organize one in their state or their region. What's that first step? Uh, Well, just basically contacting us via our website. Um, which is one, the number one ST responder conferences.org. So they can just give us a call or use the contact form. Um, and then I basically walk them through that process. How about if someone is, is struggling, do you have a, a space on your website that they can click on that also connects them with either phone numbers or kind of that starting point if they just have absolutely no clue? Um, not on the website, but they can give us a call and contact us. Uh, you know, it, that's something that I've thought about doing. The problem is resources always change, right? Yeah. And so you want to make, and, and you want to make sure that you provide people with options or the appropriate options. So not that I don't think having a list on our website is, a, I don't think it's a bad idea. I just, want to make sure people land in the right place or are giving the the best options for them. I agree with you. I, you know, honestly, when I was confronted with my issues, uh, a list of resources would not have helped me. It would have been, it would have been consumed, just, you know, overwhelming and having a, a trusted person. And that's what I did. I had a trusted person that I went to first that listened to me and then got me heading in the right direction to heal, heal my brain. Uh, was was significant. Hey, I'll, I'll drop that down in the details of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. So check out firstresponderconferences.org. Jeff, Sean, thank you for carving out time to tell a little piece of your story. Uh, I'm just excited to continue to get to know you folks. I love the fact that you're local and uh, thank you so much for this time. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Wow, great work that Jeff and Sean are doing to help first responders in our country, hopefully around the world, as well as we keep this conversation going of how do we do a better job of being proactive versus reactive. Hey, Jamie and I want to hear from you. There's a couple different ways that you can do this. One, follow the podcast so that you see each 
additional episode. Also, if you're consuming this on Apple or Spotify, you can still rate and review us. That will increase our viewability on those platforms. Scroll down to the bottom of our front page. There's five little stars waiting down there for you folks. If we've earned it, we'd really appreciate a five-star rating. If we haven't, maybe shoot me an email at chris at gravityct.com. Let us know how we can make it better. Maybe future uh, Marriage Monday topics or guests for me to interview. Folks, we only get to live this life once. Go out and do it well. Love the people around you. Take care. God bless.